winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 28th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Derbig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Jim Corbett of Loch Bui. The Loch Bui estate has been in Jim's family since 1922, and Jim and his wife are just about to celebrate their 40th year living here on Mull. Georgia and I went down to talk to Jim at Loch Bui House on the last day of April this year, 2019. Loch Bui House is a magical space, filled with wonderful memories from times and people gone by, but it's also a wonderful home where Jim and his wife Patience made us very welcome. Editing this episode has been an absolute pleasure. Spending time with Jim's wonderful tones was really quite a treat, especially in headphones. We talk about so, so much in this episode. We talk about Jim's family background, how the family came to live in Loch Bui, the Macleans of Loch Bui, and Kenneth Maclean in particular. We also mention Moy Castle, I Know Where I'm Going, Eye of the Needle, and much, much more. We also talk about George Sassoon, who's a man I really wish I'd met. And it is at this point that I must state that when the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned, Jim phoned me up afterwards to say that he meant the Holy Grail rather than the Ark. So that is the Holy Grail rather than the Ark of the Covenant. Only the penitential bash. We talked about so many subjects and people before and after the recording. It was after the recording that Jim mentioned the importance of the McCall family to Loch Bui, and Ronnie McCall in particular, the son of old McCall, along with very fond memories of the Black family. The whole What We Do in the Winter project has been sponsored in kind by the Island Bakery, and everyone who takes part gets a complimentary pack of lemon melts. I'm now on to my second box of them, so I need to go and buy the bakery and pick that up because I keep having to buy ones. <laughs> anyway, the website, whatwedointhewinter.com, has links to the topics covered in our chat. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with some more information. Just before I hand you over to Jim, I'm recording this the day after I recorded uh, the seconds you've just heard before, the musical interludes that you hear in this episode come from Loch Bui itself, and they are recordings from two of the symphonians that are part of Jim's collection, and they're quite beautiful objects, one very large, one smaller, and they make these extraordinary tunes. So I thought that would give a bit more of the flavour of Loch Bui House to the episode. So I hope you enjoy that. Right, here's Jim. Who are you? <laughs> I'm not quite sure myself half the time. Well, my name's Jim Corbett, and we came to live in Loch Bui 40 years ago full-time, but my family have been here since 1922. They weren't here full-time, but um, so my wife and I were the first of the family to live here on a full-time basis and that we came 40 years ago in 1979 but of course one had been in part brought up here so I mean we'd been here all through the summer as children and we were away at school of course and then back up in in, in all in the school holidays. Where was home uh, before here? Where did you live before? Well uh, we lived in in Sussex and London before but the rest of my family lived in Hampshire because I worked in London for uh, a London brewery, Watney's right. Brewery. Ah, what and, did you do for them? Well, mainly I ran pubs mm-hmm. and um, tenanted houses and managed houses. Right. And I also um, ran the brewery horses. So I was in charge of the stables. Well, I took over the stables from Sanders Watney. Right. 
wait. So was that for kind of racing and? No, no, no. That was um, we had um, three. It was it was not really commercial in those days. More of an advertising thing. But we had three bottle beer vans on the road um, most days, and we also had a four in hand of horses to a coach, the Red Rover coach, which is mine now, and I drive at various um, occasions. Fantastic. Um, to a four in hand. Is that mostly away elsewhere? Yes, that's mostly away. Yeah, yes. No, I'm still very much involved in that. I know there's a strong riding for the disabled scene as well and coach riding as well. And there's a driving for the disabled. Is that what it is? Yes, right? there's driving for the disabled and there's riding for the disabled. And driving for the disabled is a sort of offshoot of um, of, of uh, riding with the disabled. And, and I think that Jane Isaac, who was the dentist's wife in Oban, mm-hmm. Um, lives in Be- uh, Bendelock, and yes. she is uh, um, a, a great uh, exponent of driving for the disabled. It's a really positive, positive thing. So it's... Yes, well, Sanders Watney, who taught me to drive, uh, there was a trust set up in his name af- after he died, the Sanders Watney Trust, and that um, produces money to buy disabled vehicles for disabled drivers to, to drive in, so you can get a wheelchair up in the back and that sort of thing. And it's been a great success. I think that's one of the things when uh, when you are less able in terms of uh, the facilities you've been given at birth or whatever accidents, or whatever, that lack of control that you have over life is a significant thing. So anything that offers a medium of control, such as my work with film, I work with people learning difficulties and physical difficulties with film quite a lot, that's really important. So to be in charge of a vehicle that's, that's moving with living things. Yes, and of course it's something you can do if you haven't got the power of your legs in other words, you can ride if you've got the power of your legs, riding for the disabled. But without the power of your legs, you can, you can still drive. Yeah. And Rosemary Russell, who um, uh, had a hunting accident and broke her back, was a terrific driver and used to drive a pair of ponies in all the driving competitions around the country. She was a great character, Rosemary Russell. Sadly died three or four years ago. Where is Loch Bui in terms of Mull's geography? Well, Loch Bui is the sort of central south, I always say, of um, Mull. If you look at Mull, it's sort of L-shaped, yeah. and we're just round the corner at the bottom of the L. Loch Bui Bay faces southwest, and we look straight out on the island of Colonsay. Loch Bui, in the days of my uh, great-grandfather, who, who bought the estate, was about 29,000 acres. It's not quite as big as that now. It's huge. <laughs> Gosh. And uh, in terms of the, the island's history, Loch Bui is where it very much, when you read about the island's history, it's very central to the identity of this, this island in the past. Very much so, yes. And because you see the, 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 the family that lived here for 500 years were the Maclean's of Loch Bui. And uh, the Maclean's of Dirt and the Maclean's of Loch Bui were linked together. There were two brothers, um, and about 1,400 Hector and Lachlan split. And I think Lachlan stayed in, Loch Bui, stayed in Dirt, and Hector came here. I may have got the two names the wrong way around, but um, he came here and built Moy Castle, which he was told that he could only have the land. I mean, this is the story. could only have the land um, that would be covered by four deerskins. So he cut the deerskins up in very, very thin strips and put them all around and then built the castle in the middle. That's and that's Moy Castle, which was built in approximately 1400. 
Moy is an ex- a significant building. It really is. There's something about it. It's oh, absolutely. Quite magical. Mm. As a child, how did that feel being near that? Well, I think it's all been rather, always been slightly awe-inspiring, and that's one of the reasons why um, I was very keen when we took over from my father and moved in here to um, try and stabilise the castle. I, I had never felt that we should repair it or you know, reconstitute it as such, but I did feel we should try and stabilise it. So we got um, Historic Scotland involved and we got... Um, the Heritage Lottery Fund involved, and um, in fact, we got Lorne McLean from um, um, South Africa, who is the current chief of the Lockway McLeans, right. involved. And but the and he gave some money, and um, Lockie McLean from Dirt, he gave the Robertsons Trust, which he's responsible for, gave some money. So lots of people contributed. But in the main, Historic Scotland, Historic Environment Scotland, as they're now called, mm-hmm. um, and the Heritage Lottery Fund were the main contributors. And um, we've spent really since 2003 doing bit by bit. And there are two more stages to do, which we've still got to, to carry out. What are the last two remaining stages? Well, the last two remaining stages is to improve the sort of steps up to the front door okay. because, you know, anybody who's not very sure-footed is likely to... Um, break their neck and to repoint around the front door mm-hmm. and then we've repointed everything from the whole way around right down to about 15 feet from the bottom and that's the second la- that's the second stage final stage is to just repoint all the way around the bottom and when you've been doing the refurbishments have there been any kind of surprises or interest and things that you didn't expect have turned up well, strangely enough, no. <laughs> um, but because Historic Scotland were very keen that um, we should, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the architects, um, you know, excavating the wall walks and everything should go through everything with a fine tooth comb because they didn't know what they were going to turn up. And in the end, it, it cost a fortune, but they didn't turn anything up. And what, like, what's the original render? I'm sorry, mortar of the building? What's the original? Lime. It's, it's, it's all lime mortar, and, and and all this um, renovation that we've done has been um, done in in lime mortar, and it it, it was uh, has been for years and years and years covered in ivy, and actually you can see the ivy creeping back now because we took all the ivy off before we did this stabilisation, but my father was very keen to take the ivy off back in the back in the thirties. And um, but a lot of the local people were rather anti that. And when you interviewed John Morn, and mm-hmm. he talked about his his grandfather, yes, uh, you know, yes. the, the head stalker at Lockboy, mm-hmm. um, Earl McCall. And everybody said, according to my father, everybody said, if you take the ivy off off Moy Castle, it'll be like taking the beard off old McCall. <laughs> so my father felt he wasn't in a position to take the beard off old McCall. So oh, you would leave the ivy on the castle. That's brilliant. I think it looks fine without, uh, but both are both are fine. Well, I think I, I think the thing is that the ivy, to a degree, protected it from the wind okay. and rain, but on the other hand, well, it also the roots of the ivy yeah. were pushing the the stones apart. Mm. So when the ivy was removed, the weather got at it, and that tended to to 
you know, the, the, the gaps that had been left by the roots, as it were, were then made even bigger by the wind and rain getting in. But that's fine because we then did the repointing all the way down and that's filled up all the gaps. So it, it, uh, that's worked. But had we not done the repointing and taken the ivy off, I think that would have been a mistake. And water in the castle is a bit of a mystery. Am I right in remembering that? Um, yeah, that is always always supposed to be the great mystery because the the bottle dungeon, which um, the scariest dungeon in Mole, <laughs> yes, well, it would be certainly if you were left in it. Um, the bottle dungeon, which which is sort of halfway up the wall, as it were, halfway between the ground floor and the first floor, uh, has always got five foot of water in the bottom, and that five foot may change to about four foot six to five foot six, but it never changes much more than that, and it's fresh water, and nobody has ever quite worked out how that a stays there and b doesn't fill up or, or get you know any less uh, i i've got a theory about it that there's um that the wall the water sort of permeates down through the walls to a certain level in the in the dungeon and then um because um there's a sort of some sort of crack out yeah. through the wall, leaks out, and that's why it keeps that level. Oh. But this is only a theory and is not backed up by any scientific experience <laughs> at all. Echo sendings. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I obviously have to ask then, uh, as a, being a small child that I am, are there any great ghost stories associated with? Well, um, the main ghost story, of course, associated with the castle and Lockbuoy House is that if the chief of Clan Maclean dies, then uh, Ewan Vech, you know, from, uh, is likely to ride his horse without his head from Lochbuie House to the Lochbuie Ma- Mausoleum in Lagan. Um, but um, when the last chief died, I'm afraid we didn't hear it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's quite something, yeah, because Peter yeah. McNabb's book's got quite a few. There's like the, the, the two herdsmen of Lochbuie and things like yes, that. Yes, and the black dog of Ardura, which is supposed to come out of the... Um, out of, uh, a hole on the side of the road um, along the Hush side. And uh, um, my father was always very, uh, very nervous of anybody who brought a black Labrador to the front of the house. Because you know? you're supposed to, if you leave, let the black dog in, that's not a good thing to do. Okay. However, my wife had a black Labrador and um, we're all still here, so. That's, or are we? Yeah. Or are we? Yeah. Or are we? Um, it's very interesting. Uh, Osgood Mackenzie's book. Yes. I remember when he talks about the they were trying to do some work on some boulders that were behind the house. They were trying to clear some space there, and they said, "Oh, it's always been haunted that bit." The village had always said, mm. "You know, you've got to watch out. There's these big dogs, seen these black and white dogs, these spotted dogs." And uh, he only realised that, and they would, there was this knocking sound heard. And he only realised that. Actually, that was his dogs. He had Dalmatians. He was the first person ever to have Dalmatians there. Mm. And they were quarrying these rocks away. And somehow that had echoed back down through the, the funny, years. Yeah. Just, I think that was a lovely, a lovely story. I love that one. Yes. Well, Dalmatians are all Harlequin Great Danes because they're, yeah. they're black and white too. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were great carriage dogs, you see. They used to, Dalmatians and uh, Harlequin Great Danes would run under a, a carriage. Really? Yes, and um, we in the brewery in London used to have a Dalmatian, Pongo, and he used to run out, when we took the horses out every morning exercising the team, he would run underneath the carriage and rest his chin on the back axle, and we reported to the RSPCA for tying the dog on so tight 
that he couldn't get his chin off because the dog wasn't tied on at all. It was just his idle way of running along with his chin resting on the back axle of the carriage. Gosh. Mm. So, another thing about Loch Bui that always strikes me, and I think it's, it's I mean, I love so many bits of this island, but Loch Bui remains somewhat a mystery. I only come down every once in a while, and it's always it's really striking when you come down. Ben Bui is one of the most impressive hills on the island, when you, particularly when you come in so close to it down through the road here. What is, there, what is it about the geography of Loch Bui, do you think, that's so appealing and striking? Well, I think, I, to me... It's you, you come over Arjura Hill, yeah. and um, whereas Karsig, you go over the hill at Karsig and you come down it, and it's just ever so slightly claustrophobic yeah. to me, it is. anyway. Yeah. But with Loch Bui, you come over and then it gradually opens up to this wonderful sort of amphitheater, if you like, with the bay and the sort of horseshoe bay in front of you, and Lagan on that side, and Glenbar and Ben Bui on that side. And, um, you know, all surrounded with yellow gorse. And I think that's what... I, I mean, it, it, there's no doubt. It's a, a very, very unique place. I love it. And I I took the bishop of our Gal in the Isles um, here one day, Martin Shaw, who was not the current bishop, but the one before. And I took him over to Lagan, and he said, this place has the most fantastic piece about it. So I thought that was rather wonderful, really. Definitely. And as a child, when you'd come up, was there any one specific place where you'd think, ah, that's it, I'm home now? Oh, I think um, I think when you go over, uh, well, when you when, when you come past the burial ground at Belur, you think, I'm home, we're home now, because that's our march. Ah, right. Well, I want to ask you about that, the tree there. That's not a yew tree. Is it not? not? No, that's not a yew tree. Everybody thinks it's a yew tree. Yeah. And when various branches get blown off, people start ringing me up and say, what's your sheep eating that tree? I said, don't panic, it's not a yew tree. Ah, no. But it's very, very, very old. Very old, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, at least I imagine it's old because, you see, the, the burial ground itself isn't that old. I mean, the burial ground is, I don't know, 20s or 30s. But the tree looks a lot older than that. Because, yeah, that's... I think the trees down uh, here are just different to the trees elsewhere as well. Ah, well, that, you see, old Loch Bui planted a lot of very special fir trees, sort of specimen fir trees, and also the trees down the front drive, which has been an absolute tragedy to me. There were a lot of really lovely large trees down there, which um, the Forestry Commission came in and uh, condemned one tree with Phytophthora remora, and has made, have made us cut down um, every larch tree within 20, 250 metres of that one tree. And that has been ongoing over the last three years. And I can tell you, it's been pretty stressful. Which Loch Bui was that? Is that... Um, that was Murdoch um, Gillian, or Murdoch Gillian, mm-hmm. um, who was really the last full-time McLean lad here. Um, and he uh, he was succeeded by his son Kenneth. So let's let's come on to the Macleans then. Five hundred years of history. Uh, the so we've got the Macleans of Duart, we've got the Macleans of Loch Bui, and we've also got the Macleans of Brolis as well, I believe. Well, you've got the Macleans of uh, Pennycross, which ah, is Carseg, and you've got right. and then there's Col Macleans and Ardgar Macleans. Of course. Yeah. So there's a, there's many sets. Of the yes, many sets of family, but but um, you know Carseg being. Pennycross being next door, there's quite a connection there because various 
Penny Crosses married various Loch Buoys. Oh, okay. What were the factors that led to the, the Maclean's selling up and moving on? Well, I think... Um, of Loch Buoy, I should say. Yes, yes. No, I understand that. I, I, I think that it's very difficult for me to say anything in any way critical of other people's families. Of course. I, I, I think that probably um, old um, Murdoch, um, Gillian, may well have, have spent rather too much money. And when Kenneth take, took the place over, um, he found that, you know, they needed to make some money to try and um, get the place going again, as it were. And Kenneth's an unusual character in that he's quite different for the time. Um, what what did Kenneth try to do to raise money? Well, he said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on the stage mm-hmm. in, on the London Music Hall and get a show up and uh, sing for my living. And um, he, he, he brought the show to... Oban, yeah. and I, I have been told he took it abroad too. Yeah. But he certainly he, he certainly brought it to Oban, and I think it was quite a shock to Argyle society. <laughs> um, and it, it's well recorded. That Donald Sutherland um, wrote a book, and I think it's called A Highland Childhood. And um, there's a whole chapter on um, Kenneth, Kenneth McLean and his show. <laughs> anyway, uh, now you see... Kenneth MacLean may have been incredibly successful, but what did did him was the First World War, yeah. because you know he was called up, and and then he had to spend from nineteen fourteen onwards in the trenches, and he only really started. His father died in in nineteen o nine, you see, yeah. and so then he let the place to the Gatti family. Lady Gatti was a Miss Morrison from Isla. All oh, right, okay. And so he knew her, and I think he was able to um, get some funds out of her husband, Stephen Gatti, Sir Stephen Gatti, who was an eminent lawyer. And, you know, he took a loan from them, and, and that sort of kept the place going. Right. And then uh, I've actually got um, letters from um, Stephen Gatti to the War Office, and the War Office, Stephen Gatti berating Stephen Gatty for not shooting enough hinds. Really? And, and yes, nothing changes, does it? <laughs> and um, saying it is up to every individual uh, lad to do his share of uh, war, uh, war work. And Stephen Gatty writing back and saying, all my stalkers have been called up. I have got nobody to shoot hinds, so there's nothing I can do about it. Anyway, so the result was that I think at the end of the war, well, Stephen Gatty died, and I suppose the family, if they'd lent money to the McLeans, wanted it back, and there was a court case, and oh, and a lot of lot of very very bad feeling all around, and and I mean, luckily my family were nothing to do with that, or completely uninvolved, but the place was put on the market, and then um, my great grandfather bought Loch Boy. So where did your great-grandfather come from? What was his background? Well, his background was brewing. Oh, okay. And brewing sugar and brewing. And he, he actually left it to his grandmother because it came down. My, grand, my grandmother, who was a Miss Garton, married, um, married a Corbett, hence. So it was through the maternal line, if you like, oh, his okay. maternal line. And he was um, a brewing expert. Right. 
and um, lived in the South uh-huh. and here, but um, mainly in the South. And he bought Lochpuy, as I said, in 1922. And had he been um, had he been aware of Mull before that, or was it just no? Very much aware of the Highlands, yeah. and was all you know. Used, they used to take a place and come stalking up here and fishing up here every year, which is a typical Edwardian Victorian thing to do. And um, and then you know moved on to wanting to buy somewhere yeah. of himself, and Lockbury came up. Gosh, and 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 the Gatties, you see, had left. And uh, then one of the Miss Gatties, Hester Gatty, who had been brought up here as a child, uh, she uh, married Siegfried Sassoon. No way. Absolutely. Uh, the war, the First World War poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I might, might tell you that the best man at their wedding was Lawrence of Arabia. T. E. Lawrence? T. E. Lawrence. Here? No, no, they didn't get married here. No, they got married in the South. But I think being married to Siegfried was probably not the easiest thing in the world. And they did eventually split. And um, Hester Sassoon, as she then was, came and saw my grandmother in 1950 and said, look, I had such a happy time in Lockbury as a child. Would there be any chance of buying a bit back? And it was just after the war and we had tenants in all the farms and gradually the tenants had given notice because they said they couldn't make any money out of it because farming in this part of the world at the end of the war was pretty difficult. Yeah, I'm sure. And they were mainly, they'd been tenants for a long time and they were getting pretty old. And so my grandmother had um, bought in the sheep stock and employed a shepherd to run and they'd done lag and, and, and um, Barakandam and Krogan and um, Kinloch Spelvey and uh, they only had three farming tenants left because we had Russell in those days, you see. Okay. And so there were the McIntyres and Russell and the McPhails and Cameron. And the McIntyres and the McPhails both gave notice at the same time. And so my grandmother said, this, I can't really, I'm not going to part, employ two more shepherds and buy two more sheep stocks in. So Russell was sold and um, Cameron, which is Ben Bowie, right. was sold to Hester Sassoon. Goodness me. And so she, she lived so, the last years of her life there? She has soon lived the last years of her life in Benbury Lodge. Gosh. And her brother, Richard Gatty, he, um, he, he had Cameron Farm and uh, Hester had Benbury Lodge. And then Hester bought Cameron Farm off, ben, off um, her brother, Richard, when he um, became ill. And then she died and left it to her son, George, George Sassoon. Now, George was a character, am I right in remembering? George was a character, yes. As <laughs> private, I say, he was a legend in his own lunchtime. <laughs> what was it about George that made him... Uh... Well, I think what George... George was, in theory... Um, well, he was a mathematician, and right. he um, he could speak eight different languages. Wow. So he said. Wow. He played the accordion. He played the bagpipes. He tended, he, he was a scientist. He worked for Pi in Cambridge quite a lot. Okay. And he also worked at Boscombe Down on satellites and that oh sort of thing. Wow. But he, he, he was a bit nocturnal, George. <laughs> he tended to um, study during the night and, okay. or play wow. and um, sleep during the day. So he wasn't very easy employed, I suspect. No. He was also a radio ham. 
All right, okay. Yeah, and was in touch with all sorts of different people all over the world. To tell you about George, he he wrote a book called The Manor Machine, okay. who described how the how God was a spaceman, and uh, Eric von Deineken. Does Eric yeah, yeah. well? Yeah, Eric von Deineken was a friend of George's, and how what? the spaceman came down to feed the Israelites when yeah. they were, um, um, you know. Uh, in the wilderness for yeah. forty years or whenever it was, and um, so and they were they were fed by by God in the form of a spaceman, and hence George's book called The, the Man, Man Machine. Machine. So I said to George, "Well, how did you learn all this, George?" And he said, "Well, I went to um, I'm not quite sure where they are, but the wherever the Dead Sea Scrolls were, yeah. and I learned Aramaic in a month." And I um, translated the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that's where I learned it. So I said, thought to myself, well, if you if it only took you a month to learn Aramaic, perhaps that's why you came to different conclusions about what the Dead Dead Sea Scrolls said than a lot of people. Definitely, yeah. Well, George was absolutely convinced that the um, um, Ark of the Covenant is uh, on Mal somewhere. Oh yes, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Where did he think it was? Well, he thought it was on... Oh, God. Um, You've just made my... This is this has made this whole podcast series worthwhile by saying that. Thank you, Jim. No, because... Um, the children of Israel are still looking after it. No, there's a hill here on Mal, there's uh-huh. a called Skurjelik, okay. which means Red Mountain. And according okay. to the Hebrew, according to George... I cannot vouch for this. According to George... Um, the red, uh, the Hebrew for Red Mountain is where it's supposed to be buried. So George had it all tied up. So it was all on Mal. However, because it was brought across from Ireland, you see, by the Knights Templars. Oh, but they were in Isla as well. Yes, well, they probably came to Isla on their way to Mal, do you not think? <laughs> uh, well, you might be right. But George was also a regular correspondent and um, to the Sunday Sport. Oh, fantastic. What a great publication that was. Yes. Insane. But double-decker bus found on the moon and things like that. Oh, yes. And about the um, the, 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 hag- the haggises with one leg, two oh, legs shorter than the other. And the fact that the Russian submarine had actually let go some Siberian haggis here. Oh. And you could see, you'll see them on Ben Bui. As opposed to the local native yeah, ones. As opposed to the latest ones, because they um, go white during the winter, you see. There you go. So George had a lot of wonderful theories. Oh, that's just <laughs> one extraordinary man. So he was a character of Lockboy, and he died, I, I can't remember when he died, but it was about 2009, I think, which is very sad, because he, 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 he was a great character, and I, I miss George. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Mm. Yeah. And so when you were growing up here, who were the, who were the, the people of Lockboy that you remember? Who were the characters that you remember? Oh, well, there were lots of characters. There was the Reed family, Alec Reed, who ran the post office and also was my father's sort of main man here after Alex Gibson left. Because okay. the Gibson family, have you, you've come across Kenneth Gibson and Brian, Bo, and Brian yep. his son, yep. and Bobo, his brother, who okay. tragically drowned in Finnefin. Yeah, well, their um, grandfather... Uh, was Alex Gibson, who came to work for my grandmother here in 1935, who was an incredibly clever man. He, he, you know, he, he was a brilliant gardener. He was a brilliant joiner. 
you know, he, he was just very clever. Uh, he built a thrashing machine, grew, we grew oats here and he thrashed the oats and, and um, any joinery work that was required, you know, old, old, old um, Alex Gibson did. And, uh, but then he left in 1955 and went to Calicle. Hugh McPhillan's name. Yes, well, to the farm there, but not to farm. But I think he was working for the Department of Scotland, you know, who owned it. And, and his son, Alistair, of course, lived in Lockbury and then went to run the Iona Ferry. Right. And Kenneth and Bobo helped Alistair on the Iona Ferry. And then, and then when they retired from that, Kenneth came back here to the cottage here and uh, fished here. So there was the Gibson family and, as I say, the Reed family. And uh, then there was Hector Curry, who was the boatman. And um, it used to, you know, my parents had a, a motor launch here at the time. And Hector would always, you know, was taking people out by picnics. And in fact, Hector was um, chosen to be the representative of Loch Bui when the Queen visited Mull in 1956. And he went and met the Queen to represent Loch Bui on the pier at Craig Neal. So uh, who else was there then? Um, well, there were the Macleods in Edith Cottage, and uh, and then my father had shepherds in on all the, on all the hills. There was um, Larky McFadgen was the head shepherd. Okay. Now his he had two brothers on Mull. Well, he had Neil McFadgen who was at Balaminach, who was married to Mari. Um, She's Mari Lamont now because he died very young, sadly. Larky McDowell was her twin brother. Ah, right. And, I used uh, to play the fiddle with Larky. Did you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Harry, uh, Harry's dad. Harry's dad, absolutely. Yeah. And and Larky's other brother was um, Doody McFadgen, who farmed on Iona. Yeah. Uh, Doody farmed on Iona, and um, Larky was here for a good time as head shepherd. And then we had various other. Uh, John Telfer was with us for thirty years, and he was at Lagan. So and he was a great character. He, he had a sort of lobster claw because okay. he'd got over a fence. I think he, I think he came originally from Iona, not from the Ross of Marl. Mm-hmm. And he'd got, he came to us in 46. So he was here pretty well all my mm-hmm. life right through. And he retired um, in 72, I think. And he'd got over a fence at some stage with a loaded shotgun, and put his hand oh, over wow. the end of the barrel to take... Oh. And it's a bit of a lesson on not to get over fences with loaded shotguns. Totally, yeah. yeah and, but you could still hold a sheep with that hand and clip it, you know. Yeah. And um, But it had just taken the whole of the centre of that out. You've got that and that. Goodness me. Mm. So that was John Telfer. That was Jimmy Innes. He was another shepherd we had. Jimmy had a rather wild wife. I remember going to the sheepdog trials with Jimmy. Um two years running. The first year, when he got home, he thought, I'll take her a present. So he took her a bottle of baby sham. And um, uh, anyway, the following year, he said, I'm going to take her a box of chocolates this year. It won't hurt so much when she throws it at me. Oh. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So that was Um and uh, so, no, but they, they were all characters. Let me just think of who, who Jimmy Halliday, who was Mary Reed's brother. He used to help my father with the stalking. He then worked for, for Mrs. Sassoon, for Hester Sassoon. And then in, in Crogan, there was uh, Duncan and Emma MacPhail. 
and they were at Portfield. They were really the last tenants at Portfield. And, and of course, at Glenbar, we had tenants, um, ten, farming tenants, Larky Mackay and his wife. Um, and they retired in about 55 and, and took the manse at uh, Kinloch Spelby, okay. which is a Telford manse, as you probably know, along with the church, which is the Telford church. That's that's right. I didn't know that was a Telford manse. I it's a Telford manse. I knew there was another one somewhere. somewhere yeah, it's too. beautifully proportioned little house. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've got a little a little pamphlet yeah. on all the Telford uh, churches in the west of Scotland. Yeah, extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Well, I mean, it, it was obviously a sort of um, passion and relaxation of his, you know, yeah. rather than take you away from worrying about the Caledonian Canal. <laughs> in my um, mid-30s. When I came here to live permanently yeah. and take on the farm, I'd done summer shepherding here, you know, but before right. that, well, I say shepherding, helping with the gathering. Well, you know, when I was sort of 17, 18, yeah. leaving school, summer holidays. Run yeah, up the hills. Exactly, yes. So how was that change in lifestyle? So you'd been, were you in London previously? Or were you in yes, but I'd yeah. always had it in my mind that this is where I was going to come. Yeah. And I did... Um, Why do you think that was? What is it that got you? Oh, I think that if, well, because I don't own the whole place. My brothers all own chunks of it, and so I'm an owner-occupier in my own right, but I also am a tenant farmer of theirs. Mm -hmm. um, I think because I felt that if you're lucky enough to have a place like Loch Bui, you should jolly well live in it. And um, if you don't live in it, well, you're missing out on the whole point of it, if you like. So I was absolutely determined that I was going to come and live here and I managed to persuade my wife that it would be a good idea and um, and that I was going to come and live here at some stage and it was just a question of when and, and try and, you know, run it because you can be an absentee landowner mm -hmm. and but you've got to be very... You've got to have quite a lot of money to do that. And you miss out on the fun of living here. You know, you're paying people to do what you could be doing yourself. And also, I mean, this is my own personal stance. You've got to get the right factor. Because if you don't get the right factor, you poison the water. Absolutely. Well, so that's... so. I, and, and according to my old prep school second form mistress, I was saying that I was going to come and live here from the age of eight. <laughs> So, um, so, but not necessarily in this house, but at Loch Bui. But anyway, the way things worked out, I have... How is it to live in a big, big old house like this? Is it, I can imagine it's quite stressful. Well, the thing about this house is that actually it's the central block, you see. And I mean, first of all, we live upstairs, right? Well, the drawing room here, mm -hmm. the dining room's next door, the kitchen was the pantry where we moved the kitchen the kitchen which was downstairs upstairs mm -hmm. and our sitting room is next door so we've got four rooms which we live in which are all within Pacing. five paces of each other and then our bedrooms on the next floor now when 
various members of the family come to stay or when we're, you know, lots of people come and visit us. We just expand out into a bit more house, if you see what I mean. So, no, it's not that stressful at all. I love it. And um, In terms of, like, the roof and things like that? Was that well, what... my father did something to the roof, which everybody thoroughly disapproves of. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but actually, I think it was rather a good idea. And that's what he, he, he got some... Um, firm from Glasgow to come and I, I can't remember whether they called it weather sealing or turnerizing, but anyway, what they did was they covered it with hessian, the slates with hessian, and they tucked them all in under the slates and then they covered it with bitumen, which means that if you get a leak, it's an absolute nightmare because you the, it comes in through the hessian up there and comes out in the room down here. So, so you never know where it is. Mm-hmm. However, that's quite high up there yeah. and the slates do not blow off it. And we have had very, very few leaks in that roof. So the only leaks really have been in the lead around dormer windows and in the valleys like that. And that's when, if you get somebody to come and, you know, sort the slating out, that's when they say, oh, this should never have been done, you know, because it's a nightmare taking the slates off because they're all stuck together. But um, he did he did a few of the cottages like that too. and and um, And it's been... Well, I think it's been quite successful, really. But if you're a building contractor, you do not approve. So there's a couple of films made here as well. Is it, can you say a little bit? But I guess uh, I know where I'm going was before the family were here. No, no. Oh, 22 uh, you no, were no, came. Yeah, so, yeah. We, yeah no. Uh, oh, it was 30s, wasn't it? No, no, it was 46. Of course, the, yeah, because he was then. I know where I'm going. It was Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Pearl. Yeah. And they are um, sort of cult filmmakers now thought of in America. And in fact, we have an I Know Where I'm Going society called Ickwig. And Ickwig come and visit us uh, every five years. And we have lunch here. And um, then one year they went off to the Corryvreckin to see see that. And they always stay in the Western Isles. Of course. Because, hello, hello, hello. And and, um, they always go to Karsig. And and that's about every five years. And uh, not the last visit, but the visit before, I got um, Fiona Gully. Do you know who I mean by Fiona Gully? Sadly, she's died. But her father, um, Ian McKenzie, was... um, And and Fiona is the widow of a great friend of mine, Eddie Gully from um, Belvica, well, from just short of Easdale and the island of Shuna. And um, Fiona's father was the advisor, the boating advisor to the film I Know Where I'm Going. And Roger Livesey, who was the star. Who never set foot here. He never set foot, all done in Pinewood Studios. Uh, He borrowed um, Ian McKenzie's kilt to, to wear... In in, in, uh, in 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 the film, yeah. yes, and so and, and of course the, the castle is moved from Loch Buoy yeah. to Carseg. So when they're standing on the top of the castle at the end, they're looking out over Carseg. So anyway, that was I know where I'm going, and I've got photographs from my father with Pressburger and um, Pearl, and and of course we've been struggling trying to link that with. Um, Thelma Powell, who is Michael Powell's widow, um, to try and see if we couldn't um, get some money for um, towards the repairs to the castle from mm-hmm, there. Yeah. But it's um, as yet fallen on stony ground. But who knows? So that that was that was I know where I'm going. Yes. 
It's a shame about Karstig Pier. It's just such a... Oh, so beautiful. Yes, very, very sad. And particularly if you go back to the 80s, um, there were grants for piers. And that was a very special pier. I don't know who built it. I was wondering whether it was Stevenson. I don't know either. You see, there were two... There was the Stevensons that built the... um, the, the lighthouses, and there was also the architect in Oban, Stevenson, who built the bridge over the Atlantic, you know, on the way to Easdale, yeah, yeah. and also built this house. He was the architect for this house. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so we've got um, Ickwig, I know where I'm going, but you, there was also uh, a film in the 1980s made here. Yes, well, that was actually made not so much as far as we were concerned, yeah. but very much more as far as George Sassoon was concerned. It, oh, was, right. based on, um, it was based on Cameron Farm. Okay. We played a small part in it because if ever they wanted anything, I was quick as a flash trying to supply it because I could see the pennies coming course, my way, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I let them my mother's hens at 50 pence each. <laughs> things stupid, stupid things like that, you know. Um, yes, and that... Um, uh, starred Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. I think, and Kate Nelligan mm-hmm. and Christopher Kasnove. Mm-hmm. And um, they were based up at Cameron Farm. And we ha- we were doing up Lagan Farmhouse at the time when because Patience and I had not long moved up here and we were living at Lagan and we were making it a bit bigger. And our builders went up and helped as extras. Nice. And... Um, uh, Archie Archie McDonald, you know, from Tobermory was he was working as a stonemason with us, and he, and because they really wanted a really stormy scene up there, but it was glorious weather, and so they had these wind machines, and they were pumping water out of the burn in front of the wind machines behind Cameron Farm steadings, and they were coming over and soaking Kate Nelligan and the baby as they ran across to jump in the car and escape this German, you see. Yeah. They did loads of takes and they were all very happy with it. But then they went to Treshnish to film the rest of the film. Yeah. They got a real storm there. They had to stop filming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't, it, it, uh, the real thing was too much for them. Yeah. However, they got the film made and you know, it was all very good. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's still a very popular film. Yeah, it is a good film. Yeah. Kate, what's he called? Ken Follett, I think. Ken Follett, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and um he his book called it Storm Island, didn't he? Yes, and, and but the film is called The Eye of the Needle. Yeah. Just tracking back a little bit, if I was to talk to the year old self saying to your housemistress that you wanted to come and live here uh, on Mull, how do you think that little boy would have felt now at this point in your life? Oh, I'm sure I'd be pleased I got here. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's been... I, I've loved living on Mull, and I, I do love living on Mull. I love the people. I love I love the fact that they've... I mean, they've all been terribly kind, good to me, you know. I mean, all my farming mates have been great because I didn't know hellish much about it when I got here. Yeah. And, and, you know, everybody was very, very keen to help. And, you know, if I wanted any advice on anything, they always would help. And um, 
say, well, this is what we do, you know. And so I think, well, that sounds like a good idea. I better go back and do that at home. So what were the challenges, not being a farmer, having experience of farms? That have- oh, well, the challenges were um, things like gathering the hills. Which way do you normally gather this hill? Well, I could remember doing it in Lachie's day, you know, years before. But that had been sort of, um, what, 18 years before that and um, I hadn't been very old at the time and I probably wasn't paying much attention and things like how many gallons does this dip hold you know and where's the best place to sell the lambs and how often a year should I dose them and things like that and you know all that sort of thing you know and I just sort of listened to what people told me and um, looked to see what others were doing and um just got on with it and and I mean I well I, I don't suppose I've been as successful as I might have been but I've, I've I'm still here or well, we're still here and I've got a son you know who's who's come and he and I, I'm very lucky because he really enjoys the life and farming uh, as as do I I'm, and uh I wouldn't have had it any other way really it's been great and um we've got this problem at the moment in that we've we had a very, very good shepherd for 12 years and he has moved on. And I totally understand why, because he's now completely in charge of his new um, new, new station. You know, he's the manager and, um, and, and runs the whole, runs it all. And um, whereas he had me to put up with when he was here. <laughs> and, um, uh, but he still comes back and helps us when we need him. And we go and help him when we need, when 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 he needs us, and we found it very very difficult to get anybody of that caliber to follow. So just as we are now, it's just Tom and I, and um, uh, and we've got we're in the middle of lambing. Goodness, so it's quite um, it, it's it, what you might call a wee bit stressful at the moment. But we've just appointed a girl as a shepherdess or as a shepherd. Yeah. Um, and she's start, going to start next week. So, fingers crossed, that's going to be all right. It's good to catch you this moment, then, and catch that. Well, I know. I, I, that's why I keep, I've kept saying to you when you've asked me, I kept putting you off. A couple more questions, then we'll round off um, and let you get back to the lambs. So, your children, you've got, is it two children you have? I've got three. Three children. How do they feel about, about Loch Bui? Oh, well, I think. <laughs> Difficult to say. Well, I, I've got my daughter's married and she lives, our daughter, should I say, lives down just south of Edinburgh. She's got two daughters down there. They love coming up for holidays and that sort of thing. And my other son, he's married and he's in the south of England. And he enjoys coming up for holidays, but he doesn't come up very often because he's always working too hard, I think. But, um, and I, I mean, I, they, they love coming up, but I don't know... Well, my daughter would probably have lived here. I don't think my other son probably wouldn't have wanted to live here that much. But Tom, I suppose Tom was the youngest. And so Tom was very much, he was really a baby when we moved here. So he was very much brought up here. Um, And so it was absolutely in his blood, if you know what I mean. But it, it's but it's been it's 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 been great. I've um, well, it still is great. I mean, we're all a bit nervous about what's happening in the future to agriculture in Scotland, agriculture in Britain, agriculture in Europe, agriculture in Europe. You know, so we don't, um, you know, but or 
we're always being told, you must prepare for the future. It's awfully difficult to prepare for the future when you don't know what the future is going to be. And also, we are limited, really, in the things we can do here. We, we can farm sheep, we can farm cattle, uh, we can farm tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpacas. We can, we can <laughs> let a bit of stalking, which, all of which we do. So, I mean, we are diversifying as much as we can. And Flora, of course, our daughter-in-law, is, she's got her shop, which has been a great yeah. success. And that's going to be... That's iconic. Yeah. That's going to be expanded. So, yes, I mean, you know I mean? And, and she, you know, she's very entrepreneurial, Flora. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. That's been fantastic. Thank you. Right. Well, we didn't talk a lot about farming, but still... Thank you for your time, Jim. And thank you to both yourself and Patience for making us so welcome in your home. It was great to see you both, and Gina. This has been a tough week for many of us in Mull, as we lost a dear friend in Johnny Payton. Johnny was the minister for the north of the island, and a wonderful, decent man. I was inspired by Johnny's sincere belief in people, as well as his belief in his God. He'll be greatly missed. We were very, very lucky to have him. Jim mentions a book which features an account of Kenneth MacLean's theatrical exploits at one point. This is Donald Sutherland's book, Highland Childhood, also known as Button Ben. It's not the Donald Sutherland from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, though, and uh, Eye of the Needle. It's out of print, but copies can be found on eBay at a very reasonable price. It's a cracking read, and there's quite a lot about the MacLeans of Loch Bui in it, amongst many other Highland and Island figures of the past. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make... I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So, if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a third-hand copy of Dan Brown's scintillating tome, The Da Vinci Code, through the website. You'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which I really need to do some work on, you must excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, But you can find that under my name, Alistair Satchel. And if you wanted to contribute to that, you're more than welcome. But don't worry if you can't donate, or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened than you didn't. And, if you wanted to sponsor any of the episodes to come as a business, please feel free to drop me a line. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. I'd be most grateful. And thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you also to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you very much. As ever, our webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode, and there's hundreds of it. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kayu, thank you for listening, wherever you may be. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Morning, thang. Shinakade. This one's for Johnny. <laughs>